You're listening to The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. With us today is Josh Cantor, Director of Parking and Transportation at George Mason University. How are you doing today, Josh? Great. Happy New Year, Isaiah. I'm glad to, uh, glad to be here. Glad to have you. I think I now have completed my bucket list of getting every IPMI board member on the podcast. So thanks for, thanks for joining. And take us back to the beginning. So how did you get into parking? Like everyone, I have a, a story that uh, you know I didn't grow up thinking about becoming a, a parking professional. Um, I used to work at Cal State Fullerton in Southern California. I'd worked in Congress for a couple of years. And then after my boss was defeated, took a job at Cal State Fullerton and worked in the vice president's office. And one day my boss came to me and said, Hey, Josh, we're eliminating your position. How would you like to work for parking? And I was like, or, and he's like, unemployment. I was like, eh, parking's not so bad. So I, uh, <laughs> yeah, so nice. I, I went down and, and worked for parking and I, and I, my division had been working with parking, but at, at a much different uh, perspective. So um, yeah, I got, got to, took a position and it was actually a unique position. I was the assistant to the director. I kind of reported to the director and the assistant director. I tell people it was a great job because I got to work with like every facet of the organization, but didn't have any real responsibilities. So it was great that I got to kind of learn from every 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 area. I got to work, learn from the enforcement people, from the permit people, from the events folks. Uh, you know, so I really got to learn across the board from all the experts we had in the organization and kind of soaked it all in. So uh, did that, and then uh, family moved back east um, and. Found this job as director at George Mason. Um, as luck would have it, it was a new position, so they had no one to compare to. So I always tell people, always look for a job where that it's new and you don't have anyone to compare to. Um, so I took that job in August of 2005, and here I am 16 and a half years later. Wow. It's from, I'm assuming when you worked for Congress, did you work in DC? I'm, 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 I'm assuming not work from home back then, right? No, yeah, I worked I worked in D.C. years ago, and then I worked in the um, uh, the district office in Southern California. So it was a really unique congressional district uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that stretched east of Los Angeles. And and you know, and again, it's one of those opportunities and those jobs. I was a political science major. One of those jobs where you kind of get to deal with everything imaginable. Um, so uh, you know, a lot of the experiences I think I had in politics have have actually paid yeah. off here in the listening world. to your stakeholders and and uh, implementing a plan, and I can see a lot of correlation. And it's funny how many people got into parking because their position was eliminated, or we like you, but we need you to take this role, and they kind of get forced into it. And uh, uh, the parking industry is thankful that happened to you. So yeah, now you're back in DC, you're in. George Mason University. Uh, tell us a little bit about this parking program. You know, parking garages, spaces, uh, tickets, permits. What's uh, what's George Mason University's parking and transportation department look like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, George Mason's one of those. Um, I we tell people hidden secrets. Um, I feel like as an employee, you're like expected to kind of talk about um, how great George Mason is. But we are a lot of people know George Mason only from being on the final four. The March like Madness 15, run. I was right, going to ask right, you about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 That was that was my first year, actually. So it was like pretty crazy uh, having the making it to the final four and having like all the national news shows and everything there. So, you know, George Mason has certainly lived off of that. But but it really George Mason became, um, you know, it went from this like kind of regional school in Virginia 
to where now um, it's the largest four-year institution in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So we're just over 39,000 students. Um, we have multiple campuses across Northern Virginia, just outside the DC area, um, over 7,000 employees. Um, so it's like when I first started at Mason, we had about 26,000 students. So it's it's definitely grown. The parking and transportation program has grown, um, you know, along with the enrollment growth. So we have over 15,000 parking spaces across our three campuses. Fairfax is our largest campus with about 12,000 spaces. About half of that is in garages and half in surface lots. And then we also have a pretty robust shuttle program with six or seven different routes um, serving the area and a lot of TDM programs. So yeah, we, we kind of went from this like sleepy uh, place in Northern Virginia to like this really kind of gigantic uh, institution. I mean, not quite the size of like an Arizona state or a Texas, but but again, we've we've significantly grown, and the university's prominence with research and academics has has grown with that. Yeah, I can't believe it. I looked it up while we were talking. You guys are a lot bigger than uh, Becca White University of Virginia. I wouldn't have thought that. And we started off as a, interesting. We started off as a branch campus of UVA. So George Mason was a nor- the northern branch campus of UVA for 15 years, and then in, actually in 1972 it became its own four-year institution. So this year is actually the 50th uh, anniversary or 50th birthday of George Mason being its own four-year school. And so, you know, again, it's, it's grown probably as, as fast as any school in the country when you look at what's happened over 50 years. Wow. Learn something new every day. And yeah, you're, I'm like one of the other uh, sports fanatics or everyday Joes that uh, knew George Mason from that Wonderful little uh, Final Four run. One of my favorites, maybe that one in Davison, although I think they just went to the Elite Eight. But uh, I love seeing these uh, schools just come out of nowhere to shock the world. That was such a fun ride. And I bet the next few seasons kept you up at night having to plan for all the additional parking spaces from all the people that became George Mason fans overnight. Oh, so, oh yeah. 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 Like I said, and, you know, I mean, campus tours like tripled in size and, and, you know, number of applicants doubled in size, you know, over those following years. So, you know, the, I mean, I think George Mason was already on a trajectory to, to grow yeah. and to, but man, that, you know, that final four team just transformed the university. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. What the athletics, athletic department can do for university, but and you mentioned some buzzwords, uh, not just parking. You oversee the transportation. You said TDM. And uh, you recently wrote an article in the IPMI magazine about cycling incentives. So I'm not sure the full story. I think they, the state canceled some uh, some tax benefit or something. So you guys uh, created your own kind of uh, uh, incentives. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Freakonomics series, and they talk about people respond to incentives. So you wanted to get more people to bike. So you guys created this incentive program. So tell us a little bit about that program. Yeah, we, um, several years back, I guess it's now it's been seven or eight years ago. Um, the, uh, through the IRS, through federal tax legislation, they had finally created a, a, a pre-tax benefit for people that bike to work. You know, many people are familiar with the transit pre the pre-tax transit benefit for people that take buses and van pool and use, um, you know, trains. And we and we have a lot of that here in DC. We offer we offer to our full time employees a benefit of two hundred seventy dollars a month for full time employees that van pool or use buses or, or or trains. You know we have metro in the DC area, so we have a lot of folks access things that way. 
but bicycling had never been a um, pre-tax benefit. So um, it was created. Um, we created a program where um, we gave out $20 monthly bike vouchers. $20 was the pre-tax maximum benefit that was offered at the time for folks that that uh, that commuted by, by bike to campus. And then about four years ago, when the, the last kind of large federal tax legislation came out um, during the last administration, and in the and amongst all the changes that were happening, and explicitly the um, pre-tax benefit for bicycling was eliminated, kind of caught people out of you know out of the blue. No one yeah. had an idea that it was coming. Didn't know there was like some some enemy of folks that that opposed the uh, the Seriously, benefit. Seriously, so, sad, yeah. And so like we found out about it and it's like, and you feel like, wow, you've, you've started to build this program and now it's just been eliminated. So we sat back and said, well, what can we do? And out of it kind of bore this new program that we created where we created a, a bicycling benefit that was now a taxable benefit. So, but we, we went through a process where we involved um, our bicycle advisory committee, our payroll and HR departments, and a lot of other departments on campus and got their support and their backing and created this program where it was actually a tiered benefit program where you're rewarded based on how frequently you bike to campus as well as how far you bike to campus. Um, so the, the presentation we did at IPMI and also the article we wrote was more about the collaborative process that we took this like negative. We took this like, you know, potentially the death of our program and kind of turned it into this positive where we got the support and really involving our users was, was kind of a unique experience because, you know, many, many of us, you know, we get advice from, you know, right. Thousands of people on, you know, on, on parking and shuttles, but, you know, you don't get too many opportunities to really sit down and really get down and, and create a program from the, you know, that's from, you know, starting from new and, you know, we got the support of everyone. And so we continue to, you know, to tweak it every semester, we get recommendations. We sit down with our committee, um, but it was a kind of unique experience, and and we've seen an uptick in in the number of people that are biking to campus. Like you said, they're they rewarded. They can get up to up to thirteen hundred dollars per year for biking to work. So you know, as opposed to the old program where they only got two hundred forty dollars a year, it was a real partnership because it involved you know our payroll department having to process the, the, the taxable benefit, you know, so it would involve departments outside of ours that we needed their support to make happen. Oh man, that's great. And was it like overnight kind of an increase in people cycling uh, to campus and stuff? Yes and no. We, we started to see an uptick. Um, unfortunately then COVID came and, you know, and, and no one was coming to work right for, for the better part of 2020. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of talked about as our, our, you know, as people slowly start coming back to work last year and last fall, um, we've seen those numbers double, um, each quarter, the last couple of quarters. So, you know, I, I say we have a long way to go, but it's also one of those programs that gets people's attention. It signifies that we are serious about our commitment to biking. Um, the DC area has a lot of strong bicycling advocates in the area. So, you know, we've always been part of kind of regional planning efforts to promote bicycling. So, you know, it's, it's something that attracts faculty. You know, we've had faculty and, and staff tell us that they might've left George Mason if not for the benefit and not, you know, and the benefits that come with it. So, you know, we also yeah. like, in, as part of our partnership, we worked with our recreation department and they allowed um, shower access for the people in our cycling program where 
normally you have to pay to, you know, have a membership to the gyms on campus. Um, so again, it was a partnership that really, you know, got the support of several departments um, and, and is, is kind of helped spearhead the efforts that we're doing. We recently completed a master plan and like a lot of university master plans, they, there's a huge commitment to reducing the amount of people driving alone, you know, to increasing bicycling and pedestrian access. And so, you know, having this program um, is important to that, to that larger effort that we're making. Yeah, I love the different departments coming together to implement a project. I always love seeing stuff like that, especially at the municipal or university level. Also, I haven't really tracked the kind of the, the mass transit, what effect COVID has had on that. Obviously, there are more people working from home, but I'm just wondering kind of how the modes are, are less people taking mass transit because COVID or more people driving single cars. Just, I just think having a a really awesome bike incentive like this is really helpful, especially during the times of COVID when people may be hesitant to take uh, mass transit more, but I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah certainly. Yeah, certainly. Like I said, you know, for a lot of folks, right. Especially if you were hesitant about using mass transit, right. To be on your bike and, and to not have to worry about that, you know, um, you know, a, a big component of the bicycling program is kind of the active transportation part of it, right? The idea that, you know, people, it's a, there's, a, there's a well-being component to it as well. Um, obviously, there's a sustainability component. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks talk about, you know, like that's, that's my workout, right? I, I bike an hour in, bike an hour home. There's my two, hour, two hours, you know, instead of going to the gym after work, yeah. you know, I've, I've done my workout and it's kind of a way of life. And, and the, the kind of neat thing about our bicycling community is, is that they really look out for each other like, you know, there's, you know, we have people that reach out to us and, and say, Hey, I'm interested in, in biking, but I don't really know what I'm doing or I need, you know, I'm not sure which routes are the best. And the, the faculty and staff in our program are always like so open about like helping folks, you know, like, you know, they'll like, Oh, I'll bike with you or, you know, I'll show you how to get there or, you know, here, here's the clothes you need. And so, you know, a lot of them have taught classes for us on, on different components of bicycling, whether it's, you know, simple classes like, you know, how to change a tire or, you know, uh, you know, how to dress properly for cold weather biking. And so they really aren't, they're not just users, but they really are champions, um, um, which is also important when we did our master planning, that it wasn't just, you know, the transportation you know, department that's talking about the need for certain things um, to promote, you know, better access, but it's the actual users, you know, our faculty and staff that, that, that it's important to. Do you guys have any of those, uh, Bicycle certifications. I forget, like the gold, silver. Yep. I forget what they're called. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep. We are. Um, we've been um, certified by the League of American Bicyclists a couple of times as yep. a bicycle friendly university. That so, one. Yep. Um, first back in 2013, and then our recently the last time around we were um, recognized at the silver level, and then also we were our one of our regional campuses in Arlington was also recognized. So, you know, again, it it's. It's something that, you know, it's like, it's kind of like the IPMI programs, right? And the APO and, and, you know, the Park Smart, where, you know, there's the kind of things you should be doing. And it's a great way to kind of measure what you're doing. Um, and it also helps identify where your gaps are. You know, it, it, from, from my perspective, it allows us sometimes to be able to put together proposals and say, like, you know, these are industry leading practices and we want to accomplish it, kind of like, here's what it takes. And so, and, when the administration, you know, we're serious about trying to promote bicycling as part of our sustainability program, you know, it, it helps you when you're trying to get resources to, to kind of grow their programs. 
This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker Solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker Solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcasts. Yeah, one of my New Year's resolutions was to learn to ride a unicycle. So hopefully you guys, <laughs> I'm dead serious too. Hopefully you guys uh, uh, consider uh, benefits for those unicycling to work. No, I, uh, I do actually, I, I just got one, haven't tested it out, but plan to start this weekend. Really nervous Jet that that was just a fun plug. And speaking of New Year's resolutions, I have visited every single presidential grave site. I have visited nearly every presidential library and every presidential home or boyhood home, missing a few of those that their home is in a different state than where they're buried, if that makes sense. Um, So, But I've never met a real life president. And I just saw on one of your social media pages, you've met a president. Maybe you've met multiple. Maybe it's because you're uh, in Fairfax, not so far from DC, and maybe you work with Congress, but have you met more than one? And kind of how did that happen with, uh, I believe it was Biden that, that you've met? Yeah, correct. Yeah. I actually, like going back to when I worked for a congressman, actually, even before then, I worked in uh, some political campaigns and was able to, I got to meet Clinton several times while he was campaigning in Kentucky and, and Al Gore at the time, met uh, Vice President Bush once. And then when I got to Mason, Virginia was a battleground state in the 2008 and 2012 elections. And we had uh, um, President Obama out here many, many times over those years. So we hosted several, several presidential visits. Years ago, I did a presentation at the MPI conference about it, and it was kind of neat to kind of go down memory lane and actually look, I think, back to all the different visits we had with Obama, with, uh, with uh, Joe Biden when he was vice president. You know, we've had a lot of other cabinet members um, over the years and, you know, everything from dealing with um, Marine One landings to, you know, dealing with the motorcades, um, you know, everyone's a unique experience often on short notice. So, you know, we had um, actually President Obama, when he was Senator Obama, came to Mason and did a huge rally the night before he actually announced his um, presidential campaign. So, like he was featured on a lot of his documentaries. So. Yeah, it was kind of neat to kind of be there at the at the beginning and and kind of you know working with the Secret Service and you know being here in D.C. area, we work you know with a lot of federal agencies pretty closely, um, and our police department does a lot of really good work um, you know with with law enforcement and, and with a lot of these high high profile visits. Um, we recently had Vice President Harris a few months ago show up, so that was it was kind of a first time we'd done a done a presidential or vice presidential visit in a few years, so. Yeah, but yeah, each one has its own story. Uh, you know, everything from live CNN town halls. We did one with Anderson Cooper. You know, we've done ones with the president, vice president, tons of members of Congress. So you name it. So it's it's yeah, it's oh, definitely awesome. uh, it's definitely uh, it's something that's kind of neat to be in the you know in the D.C. area. I know folks at George Washington and other schools, you know, here and deal with that as as well. But uh, yeah, it's been kind of a community experience. And I said I got to meet uh, Biden. One of the visits he had. 
um, after he was vice president and somebody brought me in and, uh, and then, you know, I was wearing like my parking jacket and he, he made some joke about, uh, like, oh, you're the most important person on campus. So, <laughs> yeah, so, he gets it. <laughs> so he gets it. And yeah. So one of, one of my friends, I'll, I'll, I'll not name him, but he said where, where, uh, Biden went to school, he was familiar with parking because of a few parking citations. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's great, man. If, uh, if, if you get another present in the future and you need me to come flag or valet or whatever if for a chance to meet the president count me in i'll be there absolutely. i actually i actually did this is really embarrassing but like i don't care about celebrities and but it's just that i've gotten that hobby of visiting the grave sites i just thought I, i've got to meet a living one it, so i went online to each of their websites and you could put in like a request for a meeting so i just put look i visited all the all their libraries, homes, and grave sites, and would love to meet a living president. I'd write a check to, <laughs> to your charity of choice or whatever, but uh, I doubt I'll get a call back in the middle of COVID, but uh, hopefully that's that's my dream. You never know. Like I said, you just got to be in the right place at the right time. You know, it's like I said, we've had so many other presidential candidate visits throughout the years, had the first lady. You know, some of the some of the, the neatest visits we had was actually with the Supreme Court. We had a couple events. Our law school is named after Antonin Scalia, and we had literally the entire court at our law school for the for the ceremony. And it's very rare that the entire court like is together outside of the actual you know court. So it was it was pretty neat to awesome. deal with deal with all the justices all yeah. at all at the same time. So you know, again, those are. You know, again, it's, it's, but like, you know, I talked about in the past is a lot of all the stuff that we do in the industry for event planning and emergency planning, all that comes through when you have to handle an event like that. And so yeah, we were able event. to think about all that. Yeah. I love the event logistic side of it. And in fact, I just read Larry Cohen's book and he was in a school somewhere in DC. George Washington. In, yeah. Was it, okay. George Washington. And he talked about inauguration and they actually spent the night on campus because they didn't think they could make it in uh right yeah yeah, so i just thought that was some some great stuff and speaking of larry cohen was on the ipmi board uh, a lot throughout his career you are also on the ipmi board so tell us about your work uh with ipmi how long have you been on the board and what are some of the cool changes you've been a part of well i've been on the board i think now actually i think just over a year my time like i said like many things during the pandemic kind of Time isn't a fog, um, but I've been like I've been on IPMI committees, you know, like you and and so many of the others um, for for many years. And you know, I, I tell people that you know that I meet in the industry that you know volunteering for one of the committees was one of the best things I think I ever did. You know, in 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 my job, you know that you know certainly giving back to IPMI and giving back to the to the industry was great, but kind of the access kind of you have to so many of our leaders in the industry, you know, so many of the people that have been on your podcast, so many of the people that are on the board and just to kind of soak it all in and get to know people at, at a more personal level and get to really know, know people and get to know programs. You know, there's, there's such a benefit, you know, to me personally and professionally, um, you know, and I said also having a chance to serve on the uh, parking association of the Virginia's board. Um, was a great opportunity. I was on that board for eight or nine years and was president for a couple of years. So, you know, worked a lot with Larry because I'm also a, a member of the Mid-Atlantic Parking. So, you know, I tell people, you know, those are just experiences that, you know, again, 
I think you learn as much, you know, from those experiences as anything else, you know, in your job and you're able to, able to come back, you know, to your administrations and talk about like what's done elsewhere when you're looking to make changes. And it's, you know, it's not just that I read something somewhere, but I really, really know, you know, the people that run it, I know I can call these people and get advice and, you know, it, you know, every day pays off. But, but again, back to like, I was I'm sorry, you asked me about the, uh, you know, being on IPMI, you know, one of the big things that I, I really enjoyed, I got to co-chair the education committee for a couple of years with Tom Wonk and going back to Mike Klein before that. And like I said, being there and, and being part of the group that kind of created a lot of the online courses that IPMI offers um, was really a highlight. A lot of, a lot of really good folks with IPMI that, you know, that they'll make it make it possible, but um, you know, kind of being there and, and being part of that group that's really promoted kind of industry professional development was a was kind of a unique experience to as as we're working on it, kind of also learning from other people and, and industry experts. Yeah, and then believe it or not, the it seems like we just got done with the 2021 conference, and now 2022 conference is right around the corner. So tell us what you know. I believe it's in New Orleans, but anything. Uh, else we can expect from this year's IPMI conference? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was, uh, it was great to be in Tampa and be back in person, even though it was you know a bit smaller than what we're all used to. But uh, I think New Orleans is going to be a big step back towards what we perceived as normal, but certainly going to be much bigger, um, you know, many more vendors, larger trade show, um, larger education, more education content. So, you know, plus it's New Orleans, which is been great. The last time I think it, the conference was there, it actually fell during my birthday. So that was, it was particularly a great conference. Uh, late, late July, it's going to be a little hot. So, you know, hopefully everybody stays hydrated, but, you know, I said, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, it's weird to come out of the conference, right. And, 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 uh, and be rolling right into the next one. Yeah. It's crazy just from the weather right now, but to think about New Orleans in July, it's going to be a lot of fun. I loved when we had it there, maybe four or five years ago. That was a blast. My first time in New Orleans. So looking forward to seeing everyone there. And uh, Josh, how can listeners learn more or follow along with all the cool stuff going on at George Mason University? Sure. Uh, our, our website's just transportation.gmu.edu. So it links to all the different programs we have. And um, we also are pretty active on social media, like, like many folks. Uh, we're at Mason Parking and at Mason Shuttles on Twitter. And then you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well. So it's kind of a neat, you know, dealing with social media, especially at a university, you know, you have so many different audiences you're communicating to, you're communicating to faculty and staff, you're, you're in some sense communicating to parents, you know, who may be more on Facebook, and then you're trying to work with students who may be more on Instagram. So, you know, we, um, you know, it's been a learning experience, you know, again, years ago when we uh, started Doing that, there were folks who are very apprehensive about being on social media, you know, and and you know, but I said is it's a great way to to reach across to your to your customers. And um, so I think it's actually one of the more fun parts of my job is actually being on social media and and dealing and helping people every day. I love it. And lastly, it has been 800 days since something happened. Do you know what I might be referring to? So that's over two years. So that's going back to what something in 2019. It's been over 800 days since Ohio State has beaten Michigan in oh, college no. football. <laughs> Go Blues! <Yes. laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 loss hurt. But like I said, you know, 
Michigan wins every once every 10 years. I guess I can, I can deal with that. So <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Even though we got whooped by Georgia, it was fun season while it lasted, but uh, Josh, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for all your work in the industry, including work at George Mason and then giving back through the parking association of Virginia as a former board member, IPMI, mid Atlantic, but I appreciate following you uh, along and watching you grow in your journey and all the things you write and present. Um, I hope you have a great week and thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Tez Technology. Since 1993, Tez has developed innovative text-based mobile solutions designed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and improve overall customer experiences. My favorite is the ability to pay for parking without having to download an app. Tez Solutions includes SMS valet, text to park, permit to park, and much more. I think every organization or city or university should be adding Tez to their payment options arsenal. Learn more about Tez at tezhq.com.